What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DD DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome back to another edition of Back to Jerusalem podcast. I am Eugene Bach and I am coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. Right now we are actually on our U.S. tour with uh, Brother Yun and I myself am also on tour. Um, I am in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, right now, as I do this podcast, I'm speaking at a First Baptist Church uh, this evening, and tomorrow I will fly to uh, Pennsylvania, where I will be making my way to Princeton, New Jersey, uh, to speak at Princeton University uh, in what, I think now uh, the day after tomorrow. So the day after tomorrow, uh, I will be speaking at Princeton University and from there be uh, traveling on down south. Brother Yun is making his way uh, to Atlanta where he will be speaking at IHOP Atlanta. And then from uh, Atlanta, he will be going over to Louisiana. If you have not been to a Back to Jerusalem meeting before, especially one where Brother Yun has been speaking, you are missing out. Because his testimony is is absolutely phenomenal. If you've read it in a book, that's awesome. But to hear it live as he talks about things that were never written in the book is even better. Not only that, but to hear the anointed message of God's word in a way that really just you could just sit and marinate in it. I mean, this guy has been in prison for such long periods of time where he's just had fellowship between him and God. And that really has taught him some amazing lessons that come out during these meetings when he shares. So if you go to backtojerusalem.com, go up to the events button, tap on that, and then you will see our schedule. And we speak all around the world. So if you live in Europe, especially Germany, if you're in Germany or Switzerland, Brother Jung lives in Germany and spends a lot of his time traveling around with a group called AVC. AVC is a German word for persecuted Christians, or stands for a persecuted word, uh, several words that uh, mean persecuted Christian. I don't speak German, so I don't know exactly what the word is. But it is it, the organization is just known as AVC. We've actually been partnered together with them for many years. They sit on our board, and actually they run all the finances for Back to Jerusalem as it comes to the field. And especially if you are in the UK, we have a UK office run by Pastor Danny. I'm going to try to get him on one of our podcasts. I've even asked him to do a podcast for us, and I'm hoping that he does that. Um, I think that you will be blessed by what he is doing to really get the word out there for people to partner together with Back to Jerusalem. 
one of the reasons I'm doing a podcast, of course, I'm going to be speaking later on this evening, but I've just, I, I really, my heart is so heavy at the moment because what we have been engaged in for the last couple of years, really knee deep together with the Back to Jerusalem missionaries in the Middle East, has been the disaster that's been caused by ISIS. And I have to tell you, the reaction of the world community to ISIS has been absolutely pitiful, shameful, absolutely shameful. I don't know why there has – of course, it makes for good news, uh, and the reason I say that is because people – viewership will go up when they talk about ISIS, and uh, it, it raises the fear level. Today in the UK, Scotland Yard just raised the security level for the UK because they are waiting for – because they've been getting a lot of traffic uh, all around the, the internet. They, they have their security guys watching – uh, information going back and forth, and right now the activity level is up really high, and because of that, they are warning of a disaster of of a spectacular nature, an attack of a spectacular nature, something that will draw a lot of attention, not like a shooting that that took place in Paris, not like a shooting that's you know taking place in Southern California, but a a, a real big finale type of attack. Uh, at, at least that's what they are warning in the UK. And for them to make that warning in the UK, I think speaks volumes. I, I think that they did it for a couple of reasons. One is I think that they did it, of course, to let people know, to be aware. I, but I also think that they did it as a warning to ISIS that we are on to you. We are watching. We, we know that you are planning something. So it may have been a little bit of a tactical communication as well. But what I am concerned about is as I'm traveling here in the United States, there's a, there's a primary election, and it's on the lips of everybody that you come in contact with, whether I'm sitting down in the lobby of our hotel eating breakfast whether and you know hearing people talk about it, whether I'm waiting in an elevator, whether I'm at the airport you know, loading up onto a plane. I'm hearing everybody talk about the primaries and who do you think is going to win and those kind of things. One of the things that's being missed right now is that the U.S. government actually has an opportunity to do the very same thing as the EU did two weeks ago when they declared the activities that have been – the atrocities that have been brought on by ISIS has been categorized by the EU unanimously as genocide. And now the U.S. has up until the 17th to be able to make that same declaration. Now, here's just a couple video clips. Now, if you're not an American, um, as a lot of our listeners are not, that's okay. But I just – I want you to listen to this. What, what, what's taking place? What you're going to hear is this is a House Foreign Affairs Committee meeting. This is the U.S. government having this meeting. It's about budgets. But within this, there is a – gentleman a, a an elected official by the name of Rayburn who who actually brings something I, I'm sorry not Rayburn his name is Rora Bacher uh, Bach almost the same you know B-A-C-H so Rora Bacher uh, Congressman Rora Bacher is challenging Secretary of State John Kerry about 
labeling the activities or the atrocities rather of ISIS as an act of genocide. I just I, I want you to hear what he has to say just really quickly. The, the decision will be made very, very soon to act on the idea of whether Christians and Yazidis are targets of genocide. Let me just note, this has been going on. We've been seeing this now for well over a year, of probably several years now, of the slaughter of Christians in the Middle East. Now, as, as he's saying that, he's, he's saying, let me just note that this is not new information. He's, he's speaking to the Secretary of State and he's saying, this is not new information. This is something that's been happening over the last couple years. And for us to not have made a decision and that we're, we're making the decision, but that decision hasn't been made yet, is unacceptable. We're talking about the lives of tens of thousands of people who are brutally, being brutally slaughtered, targeted for genocide. Uh, I have a bill, H.R. 4017, and the president has commented that it would just be giving preference to Christians. It would just be giving preference to Christians. <laughs> ISIS is targeting Christians and Yazidis. Here is a, and this is the response. And the reason I want you to listen to this is not to be political. I am going somewhere. But it is important to listen to how this debate is actually taking place on the floor of governments around the world. This, this particular, these particular clips are being played in English and they're widely available on YouTube. That's why I chose them because I think that it enlightens our audience about the dialogue that's taking place or the lack of dialogue or the sad state of our dialogue that's taking place regarding genocide and ISIS. No, this decision has to be made strictly, uh, and it has to be, and I understand that. But I only, I, I think I only had the first discussion come to my desk on this in terms of the legal interpretations a couple of weeks ago. And that's when I initially, that's when I immediately initiated uh, some reevaluation, which I'm looking at. And I can tell you I want to do this as quickly. Well, let me just suggest it. So he said that, you know, this information, by the way, this this took place at the end of uh, just, what, two weeks ago, February 25th of 2016. So he's saying that this is this is Secretary of State John Kerry that is saying, well, you know, these, this information has just arrived on my desk. So now we have the process of evaluating. And if I played it further, you would hear him say that we now have to look into the evidence that we have and wait for all the evidence to come in. He actually says, wait for all of the evidence to come in before we make our final decision of whether this is genocide or not. All of the evidence. ISIS has been recording what they've been doing. This is not hearsay. This is not speculation. They have pulled out cameras and made videos, posted them on YouTube, and broadcast them around the world what they're doing. They've announced why they're doing what they're doing. They've recorded what they're doing and then posted it for the entire world to see. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes in order to f figure out what's taking place with Christians. And one of the things that I find 
interesting is that it's it's actually really clear when we look at the United Nations definition of genocide. I'm just I'm going to read it directly from Article Two. This is the genocide is defined in Article Two of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, 1948, as any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group. And as such, killing members of the group, causing serious bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group and forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. That is the definition of genocide, and to the T, that is what has taken place with ISIS. This is the targeting of Christians and Yazidi people. Of course, Shia Muslims have been a part of that group, but they haven't been specifically targeted to be cleansed in the same way that Christians and Yazidis were been, have been targeted to be cleansed. I mean, if we look, let, let's just let's just look at a couple of things that if we if we examine what took place in Sudan, we've been working in Sudan. You know, I I was in the Nuba Mountains together with an organization called Flame International, working together with them to provide the platform for the Chinese, and that's where the Chinese are serving right now. That was declared genocide. That was the first time in American history it was actually uh, declared genocide by then Secretary of State Colin Powell, and it was declared genocide. What what took place in South Sudan with Darfur? It was declared genocide while it was actually taking place. Now, the the challenge with Sudan is that there was the definition of genocide being met, but nothing was actually done. The reason why it's important to at least identify it is from then you can begin to rally other people to provide protection. Now, our focus is to take the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's where I'm going to go. That's where this is leading to. But I'm still trying to paint the picture because I'm so blown away. I don't even have words for it, how lost I am in trying to understand why it's so difficult to label what's happening to Christians in Iraq and Syria as a genocide. So if we look at what happened to Darfur, eventually things calmed down. But not because the world actually reacted. It took so long for the rest of the world to kind of identify what had taken place that they basically ran out of people to kill. How horrible is that? The whole Darfur region, basically the 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 forces led under the, the president of al-Bashir ran out of people to kill. By the way, al-Bashir is still the president of Sudan. Even though he has been convicted or indicted, rather, he's been indicted by the International Criminal Court. He he has been indicted for directing a campaign of mass killing, rape, pillage against civilians in Darfur. 
but he's still – and I think he's the only reigning president or sitting president to ever be indicted by the, by the international court and still has not been removed. No actions have actually been taken to bring him before the court to answer for the atrocities that he has committed. Most people that are listening to this podcast would remember Bosnia. The Bosnian genocide was adopted quite quickly. And I mean, if if you look at that, I mean, according there's there's there are different numbers. But according to Wikipedia, in 1995, there were about 8000 Bosnian Muslim men and boys that were killed and then a mass expulsion of another 25 to 30,000 Bosnian Muslims, civilians, men, women, and children. So you have 8,000 killed, 25 to 30,000 that are displaced. And the numbers, of course, fluctuate, go much higher than that, depending on where you get your sources from. These are cited, of course, uh, from the Wikipedia uh, source that I used, but it's not even close to what we are witnessing in Iraq and Syria, where we've seen numbers go from 1.4 million down to less than 200,000. That's just in Iraq. When you start looking at and putting those numbers together with what took place in Syria, you are talking about tens upon tens of thousands of Christians that have been killed, forcibly, forcibly converted, paid jizya, are sex slaves or human slaves or were forced out of their country. Genocide on a massive level. But do you know what is even harder to swallow? Harder than a government not labeling this as a genocide. Harder than seeing how much information is out there And listening to a politician saying, well, we kind of have to evaluate the evidence. What is harder for me to understand is where is the church? Where are the Christians? This is going to be a little bit different of a podcast. This is maybe a little bit of uh, bloviating, but I'm just I, I'm wanting to share. You know, I'm exposed to the the Chinese missionaries on a regular basis. I'm seeing them giving their heart, going out there. So the church in China is responding, but what about the church in the West that should be partnering together with the Chinese? The, the the church in America, the church in South America, the church in Western Europe, the church in Australia, the church in South Africa. Where are those Christians? What is the state of the church? You know, in the early 1900s, there was a huge attack upon mainly Christians in China. There was a group that rose up as a retaliation to what was taking place with the opium trade where Chinese were basically identified and systematically uh, forced to be hooked on uh, drugs. And then the the opium that was used uh, in these opium dens to hook the Chinese and get them hooked onto this drug to become reliant upon this drug, it was used so that silk could be taken out from the country and, and of course, a lot of money being made from this – I don't even want to say trade. It wasn't trade. So there was there was a group that reacted to this. It was a 
more rural, very nationalistic group known as the Boxers. And the Boxers believed that they had these special powers, that that bullets could not stop them. They would be able to fly. I'm not joking. These were these were real, actual beliefs that different people within the, the Chinese community had. And so you had this rise of Chinese that were known as the Boxers, and their movement was called the Boxer Rebellion. And they began to focus their attacks on foreigners, especially soft targets. Soft targets were Christian missionaries, foreigners that were living within or without outside of the protection of the walls because at that time there were certain walled communities where foreigners would live in that were protected by foreign militaries. Uh, of course, the foreign military at that time, even though the UK is not a very large country compared to China, they were much more advanced and only a few soldiers would be able to provide more than adequate security for a small compound where even large numbers of Chinese troops would not be able to penetrate because of the discipline level and the the professionalism of the British soldier and eventually also the European powers such as um, uh, the Dutch, the Germans, and then of course the Americans. The, the, the Marines have a very uh, famous battle that took place with Dan Daly. Dan Daly fighting off you know Chinese and and there was a famous saying that was supposedly coming from that event, if my memory serves me correctly was, come on, you SOBs, do you want to live forever? And uh, that was his famous quote when he was fighting, uh, when he ran out from the embassy to fight the uh, Chinese. But anyway, there was this attack specifically focused on soft targets, Christians, missionaries. And so there were nuns, nunneries, there were nurses, there were hospitals, there were... Missionaries that were serving in China, not a very big number of them. I mean, of, of course, there was a, 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 just one of them being killed would have been a big number. But what I'm saying is, is that it wasn't what it soon became. Because when Christians around the world began to hear about the slaughter that was taking place inside of China, they didn't get scared. They didn't put up barriers and said, you know, to say no Chinese are allowed to immigrate to our country. Missionaries heard the call, threw away the plans that they had for their own lives, threw away the ideas of maybe they wanted to go to school, maybe they wanted to go to university or start a business or follow in the footsteps of their family business. Each one of these young people, each one of these missionaries had dreams, visions. And it wasn't like today where you could just go back and forth. I mean, you would think that there would be more of a missionary response today to this genocide. Because the answer to this genocide, I believe, from a Christian perspective, leaving politics to the side, the answer to this genocide is, for Christians, is to bombard them with the gospel of Jesus Christ to send in missionaries as many as can be sent need to go this is a calling this is the calling of our lifetime this is an area that needs to be reached this is the 1040 window this is the land between the walls this is our final frontier frontier 
This is what we have been called to do. And we've been given adequate amount of time to do it, to complete the Great Commission. And it still has yet to be completed. But this should wake us up. You would think that this would make us want to wake up and start heading out, sending more missionaries into this area than ever before. But again, I come back to the question, where is the church? Because when the Boxer Rebellion happened... People were giving up their lives in the largest numbers that we've ever seen for China. Boarding boats, waving goodbye to their families, knowing that there was a slaughter that just took place. Knowing This is before there were international courts that could... That genocide didn't even exist as a word. The, the word has actually kind of been come out of the event that took place when the Turks did a mass slaughter of the Armenians, which is the same area that we're talking about now. <coughs> Excuse me. The enemy has been focused on this region for a very long time. Northern Iraq, southern Turkey, uh, western Iran, eastern Syria, northeastern Syria. So we are looking at an area that the enemy says this is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And to dig in his his position, to set up trenches, so to say, to reinforce his position, they are eliminating anybody who is not Muslim. And instead of being scared, instead of trying to build up fortresses, instead of trying to set up walls... Let me ask you what Jesus did when the world was at its darkest, when things were their most bleak. Did he run away? Or did he do what the Father had called him to do? Not my will, but your will be done. That should be our prayer. Now, not everybody is going to be called to go to northern Iraq. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is where's the church? Where's the reaction? Where's the force? Where's the reactionary? Where's, where's the soldiers of Christ? Where is that, that infantry unit that just has a, a, a Bible and a prayer that's loading up on boats today like they were in the early 1900s heading off to China? Where are those missionaries? Now I'm seeing them in China. But I'm, I, right now I'm traveling in the West we're traveling around speaking at different churches in the West. And my question is, where are the Christians from the West? And why are they not responding to this need? Because when you see genocide, when you see destruction, when you see death, you can bet your bottom dollar that that area is without Christ. And they need it more than anybody. And it's going to sound very, and I've said this before, for those of you that are new, this sounds so stupid, I understand. Sounds so naive. For those of you that don't believe in Christ, this sounds like the dumbest thing you probably have ever heard. But as far as the earth is from the heavens, so his ways above our ways. And if the disciples that followed in the footstep of Jesus, written down in the book of Acts by the Apostle Luke, if they taught us anything, 
they've taught us that when we hear the sound of the enemy's fire, our job is not to run away, but to run to it. When I was in the Marine Corps, and we were going to take a position, we had to charge. And what we would do is use a system that we, that we would say to ourselves in our head, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. What that would mean is that when you say I'm up, that means that you're getting up, you're moving and shooting at the same time with your rifle, and then you get down. You don't just stand up and then run towards the enemy because especially if they're dug into a position, those positions are probably going to be elevated because the, usually it's, it's easier to hold the high ground. And it's harder for an attacking force to come from a lower position. So you are usually going uphill if you're attacking a fortified position. And so you would use this idea in the infantry. I started off as an 0311 in the United States Marine Corps. 0311 means that I was a basic rifleman. I was an infantryman. This was, this was before I became a scout sniper. And as an infantryman, I would run up. I carried a, what was called an M249 squad automatic weapon. M249 saw is what we called it for short. And I had a an assistant rifleman that would come beside me and he would carry my extra barrel because the M249 squad automatic weapon shoots a maximum rate of fire of 1,000 rounds per minute. 1,000 rounds per minute is something that you probably would never do because you would almost melt your barrel. It was a sustained rate of fire of about 500 to 700 rounds per minute, but even that would melt your barrel over a long period of time if you could get a drum big enough. The drums that we carried usually had about 200 rounds. It was a, it was a belt-fed uh, weapon. So what I would do is I would run, I would fire, and when my barrel got too hot, then I would look to my assistant off to the side to change the barrels for me as he fired and I fired. He carried an M16. I, of course, had that squad automatic weapon. A squad was made up of three fire teams. Each fire team had four people. And in our fire team, you would have a squad automatic weapon, which is what I carried, an assistant rifleman. Then you would have a team leader and then what we would refer to as a point man or a scout. And the team leader, of course, would often carry um, uh, an M203, which would fire off rounds um, like smoke grenades or a grenade launcher. Uh, He could also send up flares and those kind of things using his weapon. But we would use this idea in our head of I'm up, they see me, I'm down. And I often see that in the same way with missions because it's not me attacking by myself. I'm doing it together with a unit. We are a unit in the body of Christ. The Chinese are not in this by themselves. We as a Christian body around the world are together with them. And when they're receiving fire and they are because they're on the front lines, they have to get down. They can't just stay up all the time because then they will be silhouetted and taken out. So they have to do, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. And when they get down, it's your turn to do, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. And when you're up, you are suppressing the enemy with your fire and he is suppressing the enemy with his well-aimed shots because he's able to take uh, shots from a prone position, which makes his shots more accurate. So while he's in the prone position, you're up and you're moving and you're moving all the time towards enemy fire towards the enemy position. Right now, there's enemy fire coming from the strong 
hold of ISIS in Iraq and Syria. And they're sending in teams. They're sending in scout teams to attack Europe and America. So you can build the walls if you want, but you're just going to crumble from the inside and you're going to be attacked from the enemy. The As most people will tell you, the best defense is a good offense. I don't think that's anything different in the kingdom of God. Instead of being scared, why not pray that we are able to reach down and grab a hold and have that strong fortitude to run towards enemy fire? There's genocide taking place in Iraq and Syria, yes. That area is trying to be cleansed from Christians. Why? Because the enemy is scared. These are the last days. The land between the walls is about to fall. The land between the walls is about to, for the first time, to be evangelized to every tribe, nation, and tongue. We live in a day and age that if we wake up, we will see that we have every resource needed. We have all the funding needed. We have all the people needed. We can finish this great commission in our lifetime, and we should make that a goal. To finish the Great Commission, the enemy is firing upon us because he is scared to death. The Chinese are going in, but they need our partnership financially and physically. And if you are not called to go to Iraq and Syria, don't feel bad. God has a plan for your life. That's where you, why you are at where you're at. He has you specifically where you are supposed to be. If I could ask of anything, please remember us in your prayers. Remember those that are going to go. Remember those that do respond. Remember those that are running towards enemy fire. Continue to pray. And you can be a partner together with Back to Jerusalem. If you don't yourself get on a plane, grab a ticket, get on a plane, and fly over there to work, then may I ask, just to encourage, if you're already supporting other work and other missions in there, then praise God. Do not change the group that you're supporting right now. Continue to support that group that you're with. We're not trying to take your support from anybody else. But if you're not supporting anybody and God lays it on your heart to be a part of responding to this enemy fire, to responding to this area that is the hotbed of the world today where ISIS is, is, is systematically killing Christians and Yazidis, then may I just ask you to go online, backtojerusalem.com, Hit the donate button, even if you don't want to donate, just to read about the projects that you can support. Right now, there are two major projects that we could really use your help for. One is we are, we've uh, already started the construction of a school. We should be done with that school shortly. We've already been doing the, the training of the students. Even though we haven't finished the school, we are running a school, um, and we're doing it in – Different houses, bedrooms. I mean, literally, people are being uh, brought into bedrooms and, and classes are being held at the end of the foot of somebody's bed. Um, we are doing everything that we can to be able to provide an education and while we wait for the completion of the construction of the school, which we believe will be able to have about 300, 400 kids. Also, we are building a safe house for those young ladies that were taken as slaves 
by ISIS and abused and used in some of the most brutal ways that is not even kosher to be talking about. We are building a safe house for them, providing a counseling for them as well as training for them. Training so that they can get jobs, so that they can start organi- uh, uh, so they can start businesses themselves, so that, that they will not fall into victimhood again f- just from poverty. Those are the two main things that we're doing. And on another note, we do need a vehicle, and that vehicle would probably cost us about forty thousand dollars in Iraq to have a good quality Toyota Nissan truck um, in Iraq. For the teams that are there, for the Back to Jerusalem teams that are there. If any of this moves you, go on to backtojerusalem.com, look at more details on the projects, go through some of our older articles, and then if you feel led to, make a donation. But more than anything, we just wanted you guys to be aware because this stuff is not really being covered that much in the news while we are going through this primary political cycle in the United States, which is also impacting the the rest of the world. We are also seeing that the UK may be splitting off from the EU. That's taking up a lot of the news as well. This is so important because it's one of the largest genocides of our lifetime. And people are having a hard time even coming to terms with calling it what it is. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another podcast of Back to Jerusalem. Again, I've gone over the limit. I apologize. Usually I try to keep these podcasts under 30 minutes. This one went a little bit further. If you are on a drive, if you're doing a long cross-country drive, or you're washing dishes, or you're cleaning your house, or you're working at your office and listening to this podcast, let me just say bless you. May God continue to uh, bring forth to you the the things that are taking place in the land between the walls may continue to burden you to pray for those areas because just like a foot group or a, a group of infantrymen that are going in to storm a beach they need to have that firepower prepping the area they need to have ship fire they need to have uh, air support just peppering the enemy's territory before the ground forces arrive. That's what your prayer means to us. We need you to prep those areas with your prayer bombs, praying over those people. They are not our enemies. God loves them. He wants to see them come to him. I know that it breaks his heart even more than it does you or I. And we value your prayers and support. Thank you so much. God bless you. My name is Jung, and I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. It is considered quite dangerous for me to share the contents of this book, but these are stories that need to be told for God's glory and the encouragement of the church. So begins the extraordinary first-person account of a prominent leader of one of the largest underground churches in China. This dramatic true story is told in Back to Jerusalem's latest book, I Stand with Christ, by Eugene Bach. I Stand with Christ is a detailed account about a former Communist Party member who took a stand for his faith in Jesus and was targeted for prison, 
work camps, and torture. See how he goes from the prison cell of China's maximum security prison to leading one of the largest underground house churches of 10 million believers. Be amazed at this true story of suffering, sacrifice, and triumph. I Stand With Christ is available at www.backtojerusalem.com or where books are sold. There's a simple way for us to help ISIS victims. Drink tea. It's that simple. By drinking a cup of Back to Jerusalem Chinese tea, you will bring hope to the refugees displaced by ISIS. It is a healthy way to make a difference. So invite friends and family to your home for a Bible study around a warm pot of organic Chinese tea. Does your church have a cafe? Add Back to Jerusalem tea to the menu. All profits go to help ISIS victims in Iraq and Syria.